by the way, a little pro tip for you. As we're going through the book of Mark, see how many of the stories we're covering show up in that video. So just today's did. Uh, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you um, a question that I want you to answer, and I want you to just answer it in your head first. Okay, you ready for this? Uh, here's the question. What do you want? Like, like really, like what do you want? Do you really, really want, right? A little Spice Girls action there, but no, what is it that you really want? What is that deepest desire? Think about it for a second, right? Now, maybe for you, it's that thing you didn't get for Christmas. Uh, maybe it's something more existential than that, but think of that thing. You got it? All right, now, if you're very brave, um, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what it is, but here's what we're gonna do. Um, if you don't want to tell that person, just go like this. Mm -mm. Uh, and they will honor that, okay? So now I'm going to give you a couple, a couple of seconds here. So just turn to the person next to you, tell them what that thing is. Go ahead. I see a lot of shaking heads. Okay, way, way too much laughter. Let's just, uh, uh, there was a lot of shaking of heads and laughter. So, okay, now, now uh, I asked you what you, want your own, what you want, what you really, really want, and then I asked you to be brave. Now I'm going to ask you to be really, really brave. Would somebody tell all of us what they want? Anyone brave enough? <laughs> I want all my kids to nap at the same dang time. And for the record, she is in a row right now with her, her daughter, who is how old? Two, and her twins, who are? Five months. Five months. So, yeah, we all want that for her. That's what we want. That's what we really, really want, right? Yes, yes. Yep. All right, somebody else, someone over here wanted to yell it out. You want to retire? Oh, yeah. How close are you? Two and a half years, you got it. You're gonna make it there. Okay, what else? Anybody? All the way in the back. I wanna learn how to animate. You wanna learn how to animate. That is a great thing to want, right? All right, somebody else, give me one. Way in the back. You want slime? We may be able to make that happen. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. When you start really wrestling with this question, uh, what do you want, what do you really, really want? Uh, um, my, a whole bunch of these things, just as you're talking about, uh, the, the, all napping at the same time, that, that's a miracle, all right, <laughs> uh, of the Lord, if that happens. Uh, retirement in two and a half years, yeah, you really want it, but it's achievable, right? It's right there, you can kind of see it. Slime, we got that covered after the service, right? So, so the, the thing is, um, when we get into that point of asking that question, what do I want, what do I really, really want, some of the stuff is attainable. Some of the stuff is not attainable. Some of it is within our grasp. Some of it is not within our grasp. And my guess is that a bunch of you that I saw going like this, right when we started, I'm not sharing. It's because that thing is too deep. That thing is too personal. You're like, I have barely been able to maybe even say it to myself let alone say it in front of all these people. And there's no way I was going to yell it out loud. And for some of us, we're just desperate for that thing. In fact, if you really want something, you really, really want it, you get desperate. And then when that thing is out of touch, you get even more desperate. 
And you put those things together and you almost reach like this peak of desperation. I had a woman from our church family reach out this week and say, it's possible that her husband has cancer and they're going to do a biopsy this next week. And the same day that she reached out to me, I ran into an old friend at the gym that I hadn't seen in a while. And I said, how are things going? And he said, terrible. My, my wife and I are split and it looks like we're leading toward divorce. And, and both of these people in the span of just a few minutes brought to me just desperation. The things that they wanted, they were just desperate for. Healing, for the healing of a marriage. Now check out this definition of desperation right here. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that word very much, but look at this definition. Desperation is dangerously reckless or violent as from urgency and despair. It, it's showing extreme courage, especially of actions courageously undertaken as a last resort. <laughs> and it's showing extreme urgency or intensity, especially because of great need or desire. Think about these words. That's the thing about desperation. It causes us to sometimes be reckless, sometimes to be extremely courageous, sometimes to be absolutely intense because we're so desperate for that thing. And here's the thing about desperation. I really believe that contrary to popular opinion, there are times where God wants us to reach that point of desperation. Because sometimes it's desperate people who are willing to stretch beyond their comfort their reputation, their traditions, their emotions, maybe even reason itself. People who are desperate will risk failure. They'll risk ridicule. They'll risk criticism. Desperation causes us to stretch and to risk and to search for answers that are beyond ourselves. If you have your Bible with you today, Flip, tap, or swipe your way over to the end of Mark 1. And we're going to start where we ended last week. If you were online or at Holt, uh, Pastor James wrapped up the service last week with this verse. I want you to think about this. This is uh, verse 35 of chapter 1. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Now, one of the consistent themes you'll find in the gospel accounts is often Jesus does this. He takes off to go pray by himself. And a lot of times he does it early in the morning. And a lot of times he does it early in the morning, right before something big is going to happen, some major event. And we don't know why he does this. Is it just uh, before a major event? Is it, does he know the major event is coming? Does it happen? And, and he's going to his father and his father, is, his father is giving him the power that he needs through the Holy Spirit for that event that's coming. We don't know anything about that. We just know that he does this. And at this point, Jesus's ministry is about to accelerate. He gets really quiet. He gets alone. He goes to this quiet place. And, and, and at this precise moment, this is what it says. It says, Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> you ever have that moment where you just have extreme quiet for a second and then all three children wake up at the same time, right? <laughs> everyone is looking for you. And this sentence is kind of like a starter pistol for Jesus's ministry. Now, why was everyone looking for Jesus? Well, there was a sentence in last week's passage uh, when Jesus was in Capernaum. It says this, the whole town was assembled at the door. 
Like everyone was showing up. Now remember, Mark uses hyperbole a lot, intentional exaggeration. But he's like, it's like everyone in the whole town was at the door. And he said, and he healed many who were sick and various diseases and drove out many demons. And so the whole town is showing up to see Jesus. He's healing a lot of people. He's casting out a lot of demons. People wanted to see more. Maybe some of them just liked the show. Maybe some of them needed healing. Maybe some of them had a, a demon issue. They were possessed. And I imagine that Simon here, Peter, was stoked. Why was he stoked? Because Jesus had, had found him and his brother right in the boat and said, listen, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I will, and now the people are there. He's like, look, it's actually working. It's, it's working. Everybody's here. So he runs up to Jesus. He's excited. And he says, everyone's looking for you. And this is Jesus' response. He says, let's go, um, let's go on, on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. And he went into all of Galilee preaching um, and, uh, in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, there's an often overlooked detail right here that I want you to miss. There were sick people and demon-possessed people in Capernaum. There were people who needed Jesus' touch and he left them. That means that Jesus just disappointed a bunch of people. Sometimes we tend to think that Jesus healed every single person that he came across. You could actually probably make a case from the New Testament that he, he healed less people than he didn't heal with all these crowds that were always pressing in on him. I want you to hold on to that. But first we need a map. Um, when our story started last week, could you pop up the map here? Um, you may remember uh, this, this map from last week. Jesus was in this city of Capernaum, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, right? And so what Mark tells us here is that Jesus now says, I'm going to go into the neighboring towns. And it says he went through all of Galilee, uh, preaching in the synagogues and he, uh, casting out demons. And so what we know he was doing is he went into Galilee. Now, Mark again exaggerates, but I want to put it into context. This whole section right here is all Galilee, right here. Here, this right here, above that river, below this one, this whole area right here is Galilee. So Jesus goes into all that area. Look how big it is. 30 miles across. So 30 miles from about here to here, you know, from here to here. So it's probably like 45, it's longer than that, right? And for context, 30 miles is from Grand Ledge uh, to Fowlerville. It's from Holt to Brighton. It's from Lansing to Jackson, is like that much of that, right there. So Jesus went into all of here. Now we don't know, Mark didn't tell us, um, did, did he go to every single town and every single village? He doesn't tell us how long he was gone. If he was gone for days or weeks or months, we just don't know how long he was gone. We just know that he now went out into this area. And somewhere in this area, out here, as he's out in these villages, Jesus comes across a desperate man. Now he's probably come across many, but this is the first one that Mark tells us about. Verse 40. It says that a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. It's maybe one of the best sentences in the Bible, isn't it? I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now what's fascinating here is Jesus says, I'm willing. But it comes right on the heels in Mark's account of Jesus leaving other people behind, which feels jarring to me. Is Jesus being unkind to some and kind to others? 
Hold on to that. Jesus tells this guy, by the way, don't tell anyone about this. And then you know what this guy does? Yeah, he tells everybody about this. It actually says he told everyone. So, so the guy starts out his, his journey with Jesus in disobedience. Makes, it, makes me feel good, right? <laughs> um, right? Um, but he goes and tells everybody about Jesus. And it says, verse 45, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. It got that bad. But he would go out into the desert places and they came to him from everywhere. So grab this picture in your mind. Jesus is trying to, um, anybody here drive a manual transmission? It's a, lo- it's a loss. Thank you. Uh, those are better people than the rest of you. Um, so like, here's the thing, manual transmission. For those of you who don't know, you got to ease out the clutch. When you get started, you're easing out the clutch, right? And, so, um, and so, so Jesus is trying to ease out the clutch in his ministry. So he's letting the gas down. He's letting the, 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 the clutch up. He's just trying to start his ministry uh, just a little bit nice and slow, right? Like that. Um, uh, unfortunately, his ministry launches like a Tesla. Anyone own a Tesla? Okay, we got one here. So if you ever driven a Tesla, you put the gas down and say, bam, right? I got to drive one once. It was great, Uh, right? It's crazy. But that's what happens. Jesus is trying to ease it out, but his his ministry accelerates. By the way, do they still call it a gas pedal on a Tesla? But there's no gas. Huh? Right? Somebody look it up, look it up in your manual and let me know. So anyway, so what happens is, uh, so what happens is Jesus' ministry accelerates so fast that he leaves the towns and villages because he can't go into them. When he would go into the towns and villages, he couldn't do it openly because there were just so many people that would just kind of, he would, he would just not know what to do with all the people. And so he went out into the wilderness and now he's wandering out in the wilderness, but people are chasing him through the wilderness. Hold on to all that because this is the next thing Mark tells us. He says, uh, chapter two, verse one, when he entered Capernaum again. So now Jesus comes back to Capernaum. When? After some days, which means actually kind of like literally after a while, he just kind of comes back. So we just, we just, Jesus just comes back at some point to Capernaum after visiting all these other areas. And it was reported that he was at home, likely the same home that he was in before, uh, not his home, but you know, uh, Simon's family home there. Um, and so, and it said so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, which can also be translated outside the doorway, Right? in the doorway, outside the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. And so Jesus comes back. We don't know how long it had been, but now the whole town is gathered again because they heard he was back. And not only is the whole town gathered, but now there are so many people that have been following him from the other villages, the other towns, from the other wilderness, have been following him around. They now crowd into this little town. And I have this image that like at Simon's family home, there's now just people pushed outside the door all the way outside into the yard. And just they're blocking the whole doorway, which becomes the significant uh, part of the story. Because now, as we heard er, read earlier, Jesus comes across another desperate person. It says, they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed, because this is the logical thing to do, they removed the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. And this is just begging for more detail, which Mark loves not to give. 
right? Now, this doesn't show up in three other gospel accounts, but we don't have our two other gospel accounts. We don't have um, the whole story of what is going on here. Um, and, and we don't know how this guy got paralyzed. We don't know um, if it was a birth issue, the result of an accident. There's some people who believe um, that he had a disease, like sometimes syphilis would cause people uh, to become paralyzed. We don't know any of that. We don't know anything. We just know that his friends knew about Jesus and decided to bring him. And so if you'll uh, just pardon my embellishment, I, I'm always thinking, how did this exactly go down? And with the two trips that Jesus just had to Capernaum, when he just healed all these people, I wonder if part of the people that were chasing after Jesus when he was out praying by himself out in the remote areas were the friends of this guy. Because there were so many people from that village trying to bring people. And, 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 and so it's a very small town, a very small village. I had to imagine that these were part of these guys. And they brought their friend, their paralyzed friend. They wanted to bring him to Jesus. And we're going to tell this guy a lot. It's going to be really hard just to keep calling him that guy, the paralyzed guy. Somebody give me a name. Fred. Fred. Okay, his name is Fred. All right, so, um, so let's just call him Fred. So Fred's friends, um, um, I imagine they brought, tried to get him to Jesus but then Jesus was gone. And so they were disappointed. They were like, Jesus just left us. They were dejected. They were abandoned. And then sometime later, some number of days later, they hear that Jesus is back. So they rush over. They get their friend. They put him on a mat. They bring him to Jesus. But now there's that crowd. And they got to get past this crowd to Jesus. And I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they ran him through. I don't know if they crowd surfed him over. I don't know how they got him. But they get to the door. But what we're told is that there, were, there was no room in the doorway. The doorway is completely blocked. That was the important detail. Either inside or in between or around or outside the doorway. It was completely blocked. So these guys don't give up. And, and, and do you have that one friend in your friend group that always has the, the worst but secretly the greatest ideas? I imagine there was one in this group, and he's like, it's easy. We just go up, right? <laughs> like, and, and, and I, like, right, they're like, we just, all we have to do, it's really simple. We just have to take Fred and somehow get him up on top of the roof, like, whoop, or just carry him, or just pull him up, or I don't know how they got him up. And then just all we got to do is dig a hole. And it's not roofs like ours where you'd have to get out like a, a saw, a sawzall or something and cut a big hole. They would have to just dig. He's like, it's great. We'll just tear apart this guy's roof. But whose house is it? Simon's family, right? Do you remember anything about Simon? how impetuous he was, the fact that he once grabbed a sword and cut a guy's ear off because he was challenging Jesus. That's the guy. You're tearing the roof off of his house, right? His family house. Really, really super smart idea. And so they're ripping through the roof and I just kind of imagine they rip this hole off and then they look down to see if it works. And I don't know if they make eye contact with Simon Peter or Jesus and then they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. Let me just stop there for a second. Do you know who we haven't heard from this whole time? Fred. We don't know whether he was part of the idea on this thing or if he was just coming along uh, um, for the ride. But here's the thing. It's amazing. The response of Jesus to this one, when he gets lowered down in front of them, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, there is a whole lot in that sentence right here. First of all, Jesus says son. That word son, by the way, is literally child. Wait, Jesus is only like 30 years old. He calls this guy child. Does that take on a little bit more significance? Is it possible that this paralytic was a kid? So now what does that mean? Were his friends a bunch of kids? 
Maybe the people who brought him, it was a bunch of their, their family that just desperately wanted to get them to Jesus. We don't, we don't know. But the desperation starts to make sense, right? It's, it's a kid. And Jesus says, this is wild. Or it says, seeing their faith. Their faith. And because he saw their faith, this group, and it may or may not have included Fred, their faith caused Jesus to say, son, child, your sins are forgiven. Think about the kind of impact you can have on other people's eternity by your faith. Chew on that. We'll get back to that too. Because Jesus says, because of your faith, this, this child's sins are forgiven. And I, much, I imagine there were a whole bunch of different reactions to that. <laughs> like the friends who brought him were like, yeah, that's actually not why we came. <laughs> like we had a whole nother thing in mind. Like maybe you could heal him, right? Like, uh, uh, and, and for others, um, they, the, the forgiving sins thing made sense because uh, a lot of people in their culture would have believed that people's suffering was attached to their sins. It's why in another account, someone says to Jesus, Jesus, oh, why is this man born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? There was always this connection between someone's sin and their suffering. So when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they were like, of course that's what it is, right? Of course he must be paralyzed because of his sins. And then there were the religious guys who were there and they had a very specific uh, response. It said some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So notice they don't say this out loud. They're saying it inside. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now remember, where did they say it? Out loud? Nope. In their hearts. But right away, Jesus perceived um, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit <laughs> that they, what they were thinking, which I think is wonderful, and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you guys should have taken the easy way out, right? You guys had great ammo against me. You could have said, oh, your sins are forgiven. That's all he can say. He can't really heal. And so then Jesus, to prove it, takes it a step further, verse 10. He says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. And it says they were astounded. That word astounded literally means they were out of their minds. <laughs> because these guys challenged Jesus, and he says, I'll show you that I have authority to forgive sins. And then he heals him, and the guy just gets up and leaves. Now, where do you suppose Jesus went then? Well, in Mark's account, he goes right from there to a dinner party. Jesus went out again beside the sea. Uh, the cr whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, an IRS agent. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And while he was reclining, chilling at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, uh, for there were many who were following him. Now, don't forget, th this is an important detail. Who's following Jesus? Sinners. <laughs> Jesus was a magnet to sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. 
And when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You like how tax collectors are always in that? I don't know why the IRS agents and the sinners are hanging out with Jesus all the time. And when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous or those who think they're righteous, but sinners. Now, Again, in this series, we've talked about the fact that Mark has this tendency to just jump from story to story to story, right? It almost feels haphazard. It feels like a, uh, like a bunch of sticky notes just kind of thrown together. It feels like it's an unedited um, writing. And God does use uh, for Scripture people's personalities. So every bit of Scripture that is written is written from that person. They're writing like they are that person. And yet the Holy Spirit himself guides them along. And inspires them and carries them along. And the word of God is breathed up by God. And so all of this happens together in this account for a reason. They're not random and disconnected. Mark's haphazard approach is being guided by the Holy Spirit. And so think about this. People, sinners, hurting people, demon-possessed people, hung out with Jesus because they heard that he could heal those things. They didn't realize what their real sickness was. It wasn't demons. It wasn't paralysis. It wasn't leprosy. Their deepest need from Jesus was their sin. And Jesus says it, I came to call sinners, not righteous people. Isn't that a joy? He didn't come for those who think they've got their crap all together. He came for those of us who sin are desperate for him. Many of us look at our lives and we think of something we want, what we really, really want. In fact, I asked you that earlier. Some of you knew what it was and there was no way you were going to say it. There was something deep, something you not just want, maybe you need, something you're desperate for. Here's the thing. Bring that to Jesus. And here's the truth. He may not give you what you want. He, he may not give it to you right away. He might say no, but Jesus wants you to bring that to him. And then he will look beyond your desperation to your deepest need that sits behind that desperation. And it may sound trite, your deepest need is him. It's Jesus. Maybe there's a void in your life that you just can't figure out. You need Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you're looking at the craziness in this world around you and it just seems to be too much. You need Jesus. Maybe you don't know what will happen when you die and you're facing that. You need Jesus. But it's not just about you. As I was wrestling with this text, I thought about Fred's friends. <laughs> I just want to throw some random thoughts your way that I thought about about his friends. The first thing that they encountered was this barrier of people. And I know this is a little bit beyond the text, but I just got thinking about how much people sometimes inadvertently block us from getting to Jesus. And it would have been so easy to just give up for them. It would have been so easy to just give up, turn around, go home with the mat. But they went crazy, right? I think sometimes we're worried about people too much. 
And that's why we don't bring people to Jesus. And I know, again, that's a little bit of an allegorical approach to this, but I just was thinking it a lot. Thinking about how we sometimes are so worried about impressing people, we don't want to upset them, or we don't want to make them uncomfortable, and so we don't bring people to Jesus because of that. And if this group of friends had not brought Fred to Jesus, he would not have been healed and his sins would not have been forgiven. And in your life, there's always gonna be people in your way. Sometimes you gotta go through them or up and around them or over them uh, to get to Jesus. But what's important is to get to Jesus. And the other side of the coin, people are in very important to our relationship to Jesus. Look at his friends. They were gonna get him to Jesus no matter what even if they had to tear through Simon's family's roof, right? And I've seen this happen. I've seen people just like, I'm getting people to Jesus no matter what. And I got a lot of stories, but I want to tell you a cute one. About a month or so ago, um, I met a five-year-old in our church. And she had not been uh, to Riv in person since before COVID, but she remembered it. And they would watch services online, her and her mom. And she may be in the service if she's here. Hi. I um, didn't see her this morning. But what she said is she, uh, um, she had been, every week they'd watch services online and every week she's like, can we go back? Can we go back? And so they were back about a month ago. And I just thought that was so cute. My favorite, one of my favorite stories of, uh, there's a guy named D.L. Moody. And you may or may not know D.L. Moody. Um, he was an evangelist um, and he basically, what, he, had, he was in Chicago and he had this crazy idea um, to, uh, to find people who didn't know about Jesus, especially poor people, especially poor kids and tell them about Jesus. He called this crazy idea Sunday school. You may have heard of it, <laughs> right? And so one day, Moody um, was out in, in the streets walking around in Chicago and he was known for being um, an overweight gentleman, okay? So that becomes an important part of the story. And he sees on the street uh, one of this teenage girls that had been part of his Bible study um, that had come from a really rough background and yet he hadn't seen her in a while and so he called out to her and she saw him and she took off running. So he chased her. Like he's running after her down the street and she dives into a bar, goes through the bar, out the back door of the bar. He goes hoofing through the bar after her. She runs up the stairs and above the bar is the apartment that she lived in with her family. So she ran up the stairs in through a room and dove under the bed and he ran into her house and chased her into her room and ran into her mom. He's completely out of breath. And all he can get out of his lips are, I'm moody. (laughs) And then he sat down, caught his breath, and he told her, hey, I was teaching your daughter in Sunday school, and I haven't seen her in a while, and I just so much want to make sure she was okay, and I wanted to make sure she knew about Jesus. And, and it turned out that that family eventually ended up all coming to church, all got saved, all, all became Christians. Now, here's the thing. I do not recommend chasing teenage girls down the street into their bedrooms. Um, it will go poorly for you. We will turn you in. That's how it's going to work. Don't do that. <laughs> But it just made me think, how far are we willing to go to tell someone about Jesus? We chase them down like D.L. Moody. Will we like a little five-year-old girl pester away? Like, how strong is your faith? What barrier is too big? Are you willing to take the risk, the desperate one? Because here's where we have desperation as followers of Jesus. We should be desperate to tell other people about Jesus. When we have friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers that don't know Jesus, that should cause us to be desperate, to do anything we can to tell them about Jesus. I I love um, this old Charles Spurgeon quote. It's one of my favorites. He said, if sinners be damned 
at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Some of you are here because your friend dragged you, picked you up on a mat, dragged you into church. Welcome, we're glad you're here. Um, We don't know for sure why this guy went to Jesus. We don't know if, his, if he wanted to. We don't know if he was dragged. We don't know any of that. But he got past the crowd with the help of his friends up onto the roof, through the hole, dropped in front of Jesus. And lying there before Jesus, he had to do one thing. He had to believe what Jesus was saying to him was true. And think about this. When Jesus said to him, get up and walk, imagine you'd been paralyzed your whole life. Some of you actually know what that's like. Some of you have been. You're paralyzed. And this guy just says, get up and walk. If he believed that he he could get up and walk, he must have believed that Jesus had said his sins were forgiven and that they were. This guy had to believe. And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to do. Most of us have not been paralyzed in a physical sense, but our deepest need is the same. We need our sins forgiven. And Jesus is standing right there offering you life. He's offering you freedom from guilt and shame and sin. He's offering you an eternity with him. And literally all that it takes is faith. Belief, believing that what Jesus says to you is true. And then see what Jesus does with the rest of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for all of these accounts, the account of, of the leprous man, the, the account of the paralyzed guy, the, the, the account of, of D.L. Moody, the account of a five-year-old girl in our church family. We just, we just thank you. We just um, thank you for stories of faith like that because it increases our faith. Some of us are really desperate today. We, help us to bring our desperation to you. Some of us need to be desperate today desperate about our sins, desperate about our friends' eternities. Help us to be desperate. And we just pray that you would take that desperation and you would transform it into faith. Transform that desperation into belief and do what only you can do, save people. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.